happy Wednesday, everyone, and thanks for tuning into my podcast today. This is Unknown Friends with Rochelle Ferguson. That's me. And you are currently listening to my 16th episode. Today, I'm reviewing a book by Ray Bradbury, but not one of his best known works. You are likely most familiar with his classic Fahrenheit 451, uh, which is a great book that I do recommend, but it's not our topic today. Instead, we're going to be discussing his novel Dandelion Wine, which was published in 1957, four years after he wrote Fahrenheit 451. Okay, I'm sorry, side note... I recorded this whole podcast and edited most of it before I finally asked myself the question, why am I calling Bradbury's most famous work Fahrenheit 451? Isn't it a degree of temperature, i.e. shouldn't it be 451, or even if shortened, 451, instead of three seemingly unrelated digits? And the answer is yes. Yes, of course. I should indeed be pronouncing the title Fahrenheit 451. So then my quandary was, do I re-record the whole episode or go back and try to find every time I say 451 and voice over 451 without sounding incredibly weird? Or do I just insert a comment near the beginning explaining the error instead of trying to fix every instance? I think you know which I chose. So just going on record, it should be pronounced Fahrenheit 451. Thank you very much. Proceed. Before we dive in, I just want to remind you that I am always open to your book suggestions. Just from online reviews or lists of uh, you know, like 99 books you should read before you die. Uh, it's, it's hard for me to judge what will actually be the literature best worth my time, but I regard much more highly personal recommendations I get from friends. So I would appreciate any ideas you have for me if there are certain books you've read and enjoyed and think I might enjoy as well, please share. You can send me an email at kittywam at gmail.com or message me on Facebook or Instagram, and I would I would just love hearing from you. Also, speaking of Instagram, um, I posted about this there, but if you don't follow me, you won't have seen it. I made the loveliest discovery this week. I found three books I didn't know we had in one of my mother's cabinets. They were Elizabeth Gaskell's novel, North and South, and then two works by Anthony Trollope, the second and third in his Chronicles of Barsetshire, um, Barchester Towers, and Dr. Thorne. I was so delighted when I found these. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, then you know I really enjoyed Trollope's first novel from his Chronicles, The Warden, and I absolutely loved Gaskell's novel, Wives and Daughters. So I was just thrilled when I discovered we owned copies of more books by these two lovely authors. So uh, yes, so stay tuned. I'm sure I will discuss Trollope and Gaskell more in future episodes. Anyway, sorry, back to Ray Bradbury. This guy was uh, intriguing. He, he was an American writer and was born in 1920 and died not that long ago in 2012. 
He was raised in Waukegan, Illinois, a town which he incorporates numerous times throughout his fiction, including in Dandelion Wine, but he renamed the place Greentown, Illinois. So he and his family lived mostly in Waukegan until 1934 in the Great Depression when he was 14 and they moved to Los Angeles, California for work for his father. Now, Ray, from the time he was very small, loved movies and he was smitten with Hollywood and celebrities and was always hoping to meet stars in LA. He did encounter a few celebrities, even as a kid, and sometimes pestered them. He met the comedian George Burns and for a while was trying to write his own scripts for the Burns and Allen radio show and was constantly trying to show them to George Burns and get him to use them. Uh, and once there was one routine George Burns actually bought from Ray Bradbury and used on his show. And so, of course, that was just uh, thrilling to an aspiring teenage writer. Ray always loved the arts, everything from uh, magic and theater to reading and writing and drawing. He loved comics. In his reading, he was especially drawn to science fiction uh, and also horror during his teens. So he read a lot of Edgar Allan Poe, Jules Verne, Edgar Rice Burroughs, H.G. Wells. Uh, he did have kind of a fascination with the macabre, but he was most interested in, in reading and later writing science fiction and fantasy that was really deep down about humanity, the human spirit and morality, not just about, um, you know, space travel and monsters and things. Bradbury never went to college, but he went to the library a lot, and he credited much of his education to that simple fact, his love for reading and all the time he invested in books. He was also very active in the arts in his high school. He took special writing classes and was involved in drama and the school's poetry club and things like that. Now, his first short story, uh, a science fiction story, was published when he was just 17 in early 1938. At that time, of course, uh, the Second World War was brewing and Bradbury was the prime age for the military, uh, early 20s by the time America entered the war. But he was not accepted into the service because he had terrible eyesight so instead of fighting a war in his 20s, he was busy becoming a full-time writer. As he grew into adulthood, his taste in reading also grew and, and expanded. He loved and learned from many early 20th century American novelists. So Fitzgerald, uh, Steinbeck, Wharton, just to name a few. And he also grew to love poetry as well, which you hear echoes of in his later writing. Some of his favorites were William Shakespeare, um, Alexander Pope, and also Robert Frost. He also had a special delight for drama. And so he loved especially George Bernard Shaw and his plays. And 
In his young years as a writer, most of what he did was read and write short stories, scores and scores of short stories. He made it a practice all his life, actually, to write every day and just churn out stories, um, which is honestly the best way to learn to write well. So in the end, throughout his lifetime, he wrote hundreds of short stories, as well as 27 novels. And he also wrote poetry, essays, stage plays, even screenplays, and and more. I think he wrote an opera eventually. So he just tried everything. And funnily, while he was, and still is sometimes, labeled often as a science fiction writer, he objected to that. He said that Fahrenheit 451 was the only science fiction book he ever wrote. Otherwise, he described what he wrote as mostly fantasy. I mean, he did lots of different things, as you can tell, but fantasy more than anything else. Uh, Now, Dandelion Wine is um, a little different, but we'll get to that in a moment. Quickly, just the basic details of his personal life. He married in 1947, and he and his wife Maggie were together for 56 years until her death in 2002, and they had four daughters. Bradbury's parents were uh, Baptist, though they weren't regular church attendees, And as an adult, he did not claim Christianity. He referred to God at times, things like calling his writing talent a God-given thing, um, but he did not believe in an anthropomorphic God. Sometimes he would say that the divine was in all of us, in humanity, um, and he described himself as believing lots of different things from Western and Eastern religions, but not adhering to any one faith strictly. I read the transcripts of some interviews he gave in the 90s, and he he is such an interesting personality. Frankly, to me, his statements often sound rather egotistical, uh, kind of arrogant, and, and just very blunt and opinionated. Some opinions I agree with, and many I don't as well. Um, he was very politically incorrect and was not afraid to express it. Um, at least in the 1990s, when he gave these interviews, he said that the American school system was failing. It was, it was failing in the earliest grades. Kids in kindergarten and first grade weren't learning to read. And he said that was the source of ignorance and indolence and crime as children grew into adults. Uh, he also was not a fan of the internet or of many modern technologies. He, he never learned to drive and he wrote on a typewriter his whole life. Um, I, I pulled just one sentence from one of his interviews after he'd been ranting a bit about the, the folly of internet and email. And this, this one statement shows you his, uh, bluff, dramatic manner of speaking as well. He said, I look to a future when all the morons will be playing with all the computers and they'll let me get on with my writing and I can take over the world. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's Ray Bradbury. He, he sounds like an interesting character from his interviews for sure. 
So let's zoom in on this novel of his, Dandelion Wine, which was from pretty early in his writing career in 1957. If you have ever read his most famous work, Fahrenheit 451, this book is completely different. This is the story of a 12-year-old boy named Douglas Spaulding in the summer of 1928 in Greentown, Illinois, Bradbury's fictional version of Waukegan in the 1920s. And in some ways, Douglas himself is a version of the young Ray Bradbury, whose middle name was Douglas. The novel itself began as a compilation of short stories Bradbury had previously written over several years, and then he combined them and added some material and tied them all together as closely as he could in order to make a novel out of them, a a single narrative spanning the length of one summer and focalized around the character of Douglas. Now, not all the stories are really about Douglas, but he is usually an observer or commenter on the stories if he's not in them himself, so he still kind of centers everything. So the book opens with Douglas waking up on the first day of summer, and you get this sense of youthfulness and excitement, of hope, and a little bit of magic. And in the second chapter, Douglas has this revelation which deepens the sense of excitement. He's outside with his dad and his younger brother, Tom, and he has this sense that something is hovering around them. And finally, it just hits him, the fact that he is alive. And he's so excited. It's like a new concept that Douglas has never consciously thought about before, but suddenly he feels like the world is just bristling with life around him, and he himself is alight with energy and possibility. He has this new awareness of his own being in relation to time and space, and it's the most thrilling feeling for him. However, the book is not all excitement and optimism. While the stories Bradbury tells are often about life and happiness and relationship, he also tells stories about death and age and loss. Douglas learns that he's alive in the summer of 1928, but he also, by the end of the novel, has come to the new awareness that he will one day die. His great-grandmother dies near the end of the summer and, and a few other characters throughout the book as well, which brings home to him gradually the reality of loss. His best friend also moves away in the middle of the summer, so there's that departure um, that teaches him something about the transience of time and of friendship. But it's, it's a mixed bag, this book. There's life, there's death, there's childhood and exuberance, and yet you can already tell there's a kind of philosophy, a, a grappling with some pretty serious questions underneath what seems at first blush like just a, a sort of tribute to old-fashioned America, the, the Midwestern summers of Bradbury's boyhood. There is that aspect of the narrative. There are incidents like chapter uh, 12, I believe, based on a short story Bradbury had previously published called The Lawns of Summer, 
in which Douglas's grandpa is relishing the sound and smell of his lawn being mowed when, lo and behold, he hears that the young man who mows for him, Bill Forster, has a new kind of grass which has been developed and it's engineered to only grow to a certain height so that you never have to mow it. Well, Grandpa is horrified at this. Lawn mowing is like an intrinsic part of summer and it's a little thing that brings him joy when he knows it's happening and he won't abide these newfangled ways of trying to make life more convenient by stripping it of its simple pleasures. So uh, long story short, Bill Forster does not plant this new fancy kind of grass and all is well with the world again. But that's an example of one of the everyday uh, down-to-earth kinds of stories Bradbury does tell in this book. But notice too, even this incident contains a little element of the out of the ordinary. Uh, magical or mechanical, I suppose, grass that grows to the perfect height and stays there. <laughs> like Bradbury said of himself, much of his work has an element of fantasy in it. Sometimes subtle, but very often present. And this is true throughout the novel Dandelion Wine. Even in the stories that are mostly just about the good, simple life of an old-fashioned summer, it's still Bradbury writing the stories, and he just has a large dose of the otherworldly in his blood. And not only do you get things like self-regulating grass in Dandelion Wine, but there's some slightly creepy stuff, too. Remember Bradbury liked horror stories as a kid, and his favorite holiday was always Halloween. He heavily influenced writers like Stephen King. So he has a weird side, and that definitely comes through in this novel, too, in, in unexpected places. Um, there are pretty tame examples, like uh, one story is about a man named Leo who's trying to invent a happiness machine, and he does build an extraordinary kind of sci-fi type machine which virtually takes you around the world. Um, but the moral of that story is that happiness isn't in machines or uh, travel or any of those things, but in family and relationships and enjoying the here and now. So it's a good moral. It's just achieved in an imaginative, fantastical way. Or at, at one point in the novel, there's some kind of strange stuff about uh, reincarnation. Uh, there's one story about Bill Forrester, the same young man who was mowing grandpa's lawn, who becomes friends with a 95-year-old woman named Mrs. Loomis, and they hit it off well and essentially come to the conclusion that if one of them had just been born at a different time, they could have been romantically involved. And Mrs. Loomis basically says she's going to die and try to come back reincarnated and they can be together then. It's it's a little weird. Um, there's also a serial killer referred to as the lonely one 
on the loose in this novel, and one chapter in particular follows a young woman named Lavinia and her friends going home from the movies one night and basically trying not to freak out, believing that this killer is nearby and going to throttle them. Uh, and nothing very horrible happens, but Bradbury is certainly drawing a bit from the horror genre in that there's this uh, palpable sense of terror and suspense through that chapter as you follow Lavinia on her way home. So it's it's just, it's interesting. This novel has some good stuff, and it's got some weird stuff. And the two are intermingled in an unusual way. But let's focus just for a moment before we wrap up on some of the meaning behind it all. What is Bradbury getting at in these various stories? Ray Bradbury said many times that in his writing, he depended heavily on metaphors, that everything he wrote was in some sense a metaphor. So let's take that as a premise and consider Dandelion Wine, the title itself, and the picture it creates. And I think it can tell us a lot about what Bradbury intends this novel to mean deep down. In the very first couple of chapters, the topic of dandelion wine comes up. Douglas's grandpa makes the dandelion wine and continues to throughout the summer, bottling it up for later in the year when the warmth and excitement of summer is gone They'll be able to break open a bottle in the winter, and it will be like a little remnant of the summer of 1928 stored away in a jar for them to enjoy after the fact. So I think this metaphor, this image, holds several different ideas. First of all, there's a sense of nostalgia to this whole novel. And the idea of savoring in winter a bottle of dandelion wine from the summer evokes that sense. Bradbury is concerned in his stories with the passage of time, with loss and memory and trying to hold on to moments. And so all that gets wrapped up into this image of dandelion wine. You also get the idea of magic in simple things. I mean, dandelions, right? They're weeds, they're pests, they're very ordinary and even frustrating. Uh, But this novel repeatedly takes everyday or even silly things and tries to view them through the innocence and curiosity of a 12-year-old's eyes and shows us wonder in things we typically take for granted. So that sense, too, comes through in the metaphor of treasured up, jars of dandelion wine. Then too, not only in this novel, but in many of Bradbury's works, there's also a kind of conflict between, on the one hand, uh, machines, technology, and on the other, nature and human relationships. And so that too is illustrated in the image of dandelion wine. It's something that comes from nature, something that takes time and effort to create. You have to work with your hands, and it's something you enjoy together with friends and family. And so Bradbury sees things like that as valuable and as preferable to machines or things that might make life more convenient, but less enjoyable or meaningful. So 
all in all, this is an eccentric book. It it elevates family and friendship, simplicity, just the joy of being alive and investing in the present. But there are always shadows and questions in Bradbury's work. So if you do try reading this book, just be prepared for odd, sometimes disturbing ideas and images throughout. Nothing gruesome or graphic, but certainly outlandish and sometimes a bit disquieting. If you've never read anything by Bradbury and are interested in trying him, personally, I would recommend Fahrenheit 451 over Dandelion Wine. Um, It does have some strong language, but it is very thought-provoking with some powerful and I think, true insights into our world. Bradbury truly predicted some things with amazing accuracy in Fahrenheit 451. Um, It's a dystopian novel, but not nearly as dark and yucky as 1984 or Brave New World. Uh, So anyway, as far as Bradbury's novels go, I would recommend Fahrenheit 451 sooner than Dandelion Wine. I think it has more substance to it. But that said, those are the only two books I've read by him, so I can't compare any of his other works. I will just say his writing style is pretty cool. It's sort of poetic without being fluffy or anything. It's very visceral and evocative. It's it's really beautiful writing. So that's it for today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed hearing some about Bradbury's life and writing, as well as his book, Dandelion Wine, in particular. Next week, for episode 17, I will at long last be discussing Henry James, the author of that novel I love, The Portrait of a Lady. However, I won't actually be reviewing The Portrait of a Lady. Not yet. I promise I will at some point on the podcast, but I need to reread it and remind myself of all the details before I can devote a whole episode to that work. But we are discussing Henry James next week. Specifically, I will be reviewing one of his very first novels titled Roderick Hudson. If you're not familiar with the works of Henry James, Roderick Hudson, I think, is a great place to start. It's quite accessible, and I'll try to lay some groundwork next week in my review as I discuss the book's plot and characters and themes. The Portrait of a Lady is still better, obviously, but but Roderick Hudson is good, too. Anyway, that is all I have to say today, so thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you next week for episode 17.